Welcome to the next episode of DDR, a podcast all about your favorite drow, Driz Doerden. My name is Justin, and in this episode, we'll be diving deep into chapter 11 of Homeland titled Grim Preference, discussing all of our favorite plot points, characters, and more. And my name is Jeffrey. We are both huge fans of Dungeons and Dragons. So one of the things we're going to be doing is discussing the chapter and how it relates to the tabletop game. You know, there are a lot of different variations out there of D&D, but we talk mostly about 5e because that's the one we play and that's the one we know best. That's the one we started with. That's the one we know best. Yep. Following along with the show is easy. Just grab a copy of the book, read the next chapter and tune in every week. But remember, we want to hear your thoughts, too. So make sure you share your favorite parts of the show of the chapter, rather, via email at drizdunright at gmail.com. It is really cool to always get an email. You know, it's one of those things that even as I, I get older on my internet age, yeah. like yeah. seeing you've got mail, which they don't do anymore, but like seeing you, you have fresh mail and just opening it up is <laughs> like, just something. Oh, what is it? What is it? Something magical yeah. about it. And then you see it's junk and it's like, uh. Right? So if you guys continue to flood that email and send us cool things, I don't have to look at all those junk emails so right. much. You're like, hey, have you thought about selling your house? Like, well, no, I haven't. <laughs> or better yet, you know what? You can always be part of the ongoing discussion on our very own Discord channel, Drizzt Done Right Discord. Trying to figure out how to get in it? Going to need one of those pesky little links. Inside of our episode description is going to be the link you need to get into our very own Drizzt on Right podcast at uh, Discord. Be part of our Dim Light Squad. Bring us something that's it's entertaining. Bring up something that's relevant to the chapter. We're going to always give you guys a little shout out. And I mean, one thing we're going to do here, it's a little bit different than you know, normally giving a regular shout out. It's not going to be the same happy news we normally do. I uh, just want to take a moment to share a little bit of love from the show. So for those of you guys who are already in our Dim Light Squad, you definitely know our, our friend Scott. And he just shared with us that his cat lovingly named Guinevar, has passed away in his arms as he was holding her. They, they were together for over 17 years, and it's, it's like, holy cow, that's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, first off, I know it got me a little choked up. I've got a couple of cats, and they're such important links to the family. You know, they're your friends, they're companions. You go through, like, adventures and, you know, your downtimes, the turns, ups and downs with them. And I just, I'm so sorry to hear that Guinevar has gone back to the astral plane. Our deepest condolences to you, friend. Losing one that you love is never easy, but we're here for you. And mm-hmm. uh, if you just need somebody to share a little bit of sorrow with, and I encourage everybody else on the show, just you know, give a little love and compassion if you guys get the chance. Yeah, actually, I just tuned. I uh, just opened up Discord right before we started um, recording, just to catch up on anything that I missed. And yeah, within the past twelve hours, he posted that, or I guess twenty-four hours, and I was like, oh my word, I'm gonna like start recording and just be like all like teary-eyed and everything and i was like oh that's so sad but um yeah so something else i wanted to um share that was brought up on the discord jaws brought up that the crystal shard just turned 35 on march 2nd just two days ago and we get the little confetti raining out we have this little (laughs) (laughs) and that means that the crystal shard is just a couple months younger than i am (laughs) Me so, too, just a couple more months. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, 35, 35 years ago was when R.A. Salvatore first wrote or wrote his first Drizzt book. That means that within the past 35 years, this man wrote 38 books plus. 
Uh, I'm getting yeah. I'm I'm getting different Those numbers. Are just like the Drizzt books, right? Uh, of course, thirty-eight plus Drizzt books, because um, of course he's done other things as well. But just what an accomplishment! Of course, like I say, meanwhile, <laughs> George R. R. Martin has taken twelve years to finish one book. Just saying, <laughs> just saying, there is something to be said for the just the sheer. Oh, I just lost the word, but uh, scope of the uh, writer's ability to prolific. To, for an author yeah. to be prolific, and mm -hmm. and R. A. Salvatore definitely is. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, like the book is or Crystal Shard is just two months younger than I am. Like thirty, I'm thirty five, and I have yet to write one book, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> True, but you have been on quite an adventure. Un unless you count the books that I wrote in like elementary school, where it was, you know, like those books you were required to write, but. So, um, anyway, new week this week. How are you doing, Jeffrey? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Been good. doing some home home repairs, some home improvement. Oh man, and getting my uh, my Bob Vila on for all of those listeners who are too young to know who that is. It's a home improvement guy. He used to have a show where he fixes up the house. It's called uh, Your House, right? Something like that. Oh man, it's been so long. I can... <clears throat> yeah, totally this old house that. by Bob Vila. Okay. Yeah. So I was able to do a little repair on the dishwasher and uh, going to be doing a little bit of reinforcing on the new bed frame that we got. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to put in a little bit of work on something that's yours. It's so satisfying when you, yeah. when you, when you run that dishwasher after fixing it and it doesn't leak or, it, you know, it runs as expected. And it's just like, I did that. I did a thing. Right? <laughs> That's why you want to cue the music with the, the choir in the background. Like, ah, like flicker the lights a little bit. Like I have accomplished greatness. No need to call the professional for this time. And maybe this time only I was enough to tackle that obstacle. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really cool because again, it's, it's yours, you know, like doing mm -hmm. it for somebody else is always fun. Learning how to do it is, is sometimes tedious, but you know, a necessary evil. But that time that you get to put it into practice for yourself is it's mm -hmm. like, Hmm, you know what? That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, we've been dealing with a stomach bug here. <laughs> so Not quite as fun. Not nearly as fun. Oh, man. Um, I'm not going to go into details on that, but it really set my week back <laughs> quite a bit. We're recording on Saturday here, which is normally my editing day and my day for posting everything online. And uh, that just didn't happen earlier this week because of no. And on top of that, you still got the new job going on, so you have all the you know all the curveballs being thrown at you yeah. early on. Yep, had the official starting of uh, training this week, and boy, it's a lot. I have actually had my first exam on on Monday, so I'm hoping that goes well. I need at least an eighty to pass, and eighty five to stay off of the radar. So, <laughs> <laughs> come on, ninety to a hundred. <laughs> I'm shooting for at least an 86. <laughs> yeah. You never, you never want to pop up early, you know, especially in a problematic right. sense. Correct. Yes. It was so. one of the things when I went into boot camp. Everybody always tell you, and they're like, "Hey, just so you know, like if the drill sergeant doesn't know your name, you're winning. Oh, so try absolutely. to stay under the radar." Yep. And I went in, and I mean, for those of you who are on YouTube, allow me to peacock a little bit here. I'm six foot three and every bit above two fifty these days. I was like two twenty five, two thirty when I went in. 
to stay off the radar is it's not possible when you see me. <laughs> when so you're that I tall, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't know this going in, but I tried. I went in there and I was going to be smooth, you know, like, all right, I'm going to do everything I ask, no problem. Yep. Then they're, they're doing a body carry and they're like, well, we need a large volunteer. Oh, no. Robin. And there yep, you go. Straight to me. Yep. <laughs> At day three, you know, doing a little bit of the field meta training. They're like, we need a body. Robin. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, hey, guys. So, oh, yeah, man. yeah. It's fun times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get this show started. We're going to start things off with The Drizzed. The Drizzed is the part of the show where we take a look at this week's chapter and we give you the drizzed of it. This chapter opens with Zachafane, the weapons master of House DeWerden, unsheathing one of his swords. He's admiring the craft of the gray dwarves that forged it. Of course, the craftsmanship is no match for the enchanted magic on the sword. Where other races took pride in their crafting of the weapons, the drow took pride in how uniquely they enchanted the weapons. Mm -hmm. Of course, drow weapons were never showpieces, instead strictly regarded as tools for killing. Zack raised the eye up, or raised his sword up to eye level, and then made his way into the training hall. There, Drizzt was tirelessly training. Zack paused to watch him perform his routines against a training dummy. While Zack watched, under his breath, he uttered, Can you survive? Have you the heart of a drow warrior? Zack looked down at his blade and knew what he had to do. Zack drew his other blade and made a determined walk towards Driz, who anticipated maybe like one last jovial session before he leaves for the academy, but he did not understand Zack Nefane's intent. Zack wonders, or Zack wonders if Driz's attitude is really just like a farce, you know, putting on mm -hmm. that childish display but evidently realizes it doesn't matter because even if his mother's torments have faded, the Academy was going to surely destroy him. So Zach pressed forward and Drizzt fell innocently into a defensive stance. I think this is a really cool part when you go into the chapter because it, it shows you Zagafane has such love and respect for Drizzt, but mm -hmm. also in that love, there's the, a little bit of that, you know, should like I step on him and crush him to show mercy. Right. And I, Drizzt is so naive that he's not even able to comprehend Zach might actually want to crush him. Like he right. knows Zach has the ability. Zach will do it to other people. And he always has that question of peril. But I don't know if he's really like, you know, Uncle Zach has ever looked at him yet as that part of that, of who Zach Defane is, that, that murderous part. Right. So then Drizzt sings the praises of Zagnafane as he goes through the motions of deflecting and parrying, boasting the greatness that he's going to achieve for the Academy, for the honor of Zagnafane and of House DeWerden. A few desperate deflections led Drizzt to realize that Zagnafane was upset as he heard him growl, Are you so sure of yourself? <laughs> Drizzt declared that he is a fighter, a drow warrior, and Zagnafane scoffs at him. He calls him a mere dancer. I love that. <laughs> right? It's, it's so... It's not even emasculating. It's just like taking right. the, 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 the wind right out of the balloon. He's yep. like, I'm a fighter. Yeah. No, you're a performer. <laughs> like, Shoot. He's like, you're a mere imposter, a pretender to a title that you cannot comprehend. So Andres tries to go on the offensive, but Zagnafane would not be deterred. He pressed on with the lesson. Do you know the emotions of murder? Have you reconciled yourself to the act that you committed? Zach goes on to speak, Andres, more more at him than to him, saying, the pleasure of plunging your sword into the bosom of a high priestess, to see the light of warmth leave her body while, the li while her lips utter silent curses to your face. 
Or have you heard the screams of dying children? Zagnafane again brings up the murder of the children, this time not to mention House Devere again, but you also get the feeling that you can just like replace that name with anybody else because the scene never changes. Right. Like 400 years of moving up the ladder of houses and snuffing out the enemies of House Dewerden, which all too often ended with the screams of children as all witnesses had to be removed as we've learned. Like that's the scope of that moment is is huge. Yeah. Even though it's only yeah. like a, a brief, you know. A sentence, a, a couple, yeah, just a couple, yeah, yep. <clears throat> You've never heard them, have you, dancer? He asked Driz. Mm -hmm. Come then, he beckoned. Come and claim your second kill. Zachnafane prompts Driz to murder him slowly and viciously so that his screams may haunt Drizzt forever. He demands proof that Drizzt is the true warrior or drow warrior that he claims to be. Zachnafane notices the hesitation in Drizzt and laughs at him, prompting him that if his aim was glory, then it lies but a strike away. If he can claim the life of the mighty Zachnafane, then he will surely have such a reputation that will precede him in the academy. They will whisper his names as they or his name as they pass. Drizzt Duerden. Duerden, the boy who slew the most honored weapons master in all of Menzo Berenson. Drizzt condemns him, but Zach continues to chide him, telling him to be so quick not, not to be so quick to claim a title that he cannot begin to understand. Drizzt pressed forward in a fury that he'd never known. Not to kill, but to defeat Zagnafane and steal those taunts from his mouth. I think that's a really cool line when you think about a battle because it's so Physical, right? Like back and forth, the stabs, the parries, but his goal is to steal the taunts right. from Zach McFain's mouth. Yeah. Like winning is not enough. He, he needs to be able to do it to the point where, like, you know, bragging rights are a little bit different than that, but similar. Right. Driz was brilliant. He was relentless, spending more time on the balls of his feet than the heels. But Zach McFain had a plan yet again and could stand the delay no longer. He threw out this lazy thrust that forced Drizzt to just slap it away. Hmm. And then Drizzt slides inside, anticipating victory. But Zack took advantage of the distraction, and he slips his free hand into his belt and grabs the small magical sphere. Drizzt kept a, a measured offense because he's well aware of Zack Nefane's duplicitous nature. Zack has had several instances in previous uh, sparring sessions where he has feigned a, an opening only to capitalize on Drizzt. So you know, you know he's being very cautious here. So even though he's struggling with what he must do, Zagnafane used managed to use his remaining sword to parry Drizzt and force him to into a feigned checkmate. So Drizzt pulls up his killing blow just short of Zack's throat. Hmm. Says, I have you, cries the young drow. And Zack slams the sphere down right after closing his eyes. Hmm. Drizzt is caught by surprise by an explosion of light beyond anything that Drizzt could ever have imagined. Like, like a small sun right. inside of Just world. like a star in the room. <laughs> yeah. Like Zach took advantage of Drizzt's handicap and quickly disarmed him and brought him to heel. Drizzt was blinded and taken off his feet and could feel Zach Nefane stalking him, but he couldn't understand why. He was forced to remember earlier lessons and divorce himself from his sight, using his other senses to feel the incoming threat. In the last moment, he caught a parry that felt hard enough to split his skull. Zach Nefane was surprised as he tried again, and quickly impressed as Drizzt blocked him again. Zack fell into forms that could slice down a normal warrior quickly, but Drizzt continued to fight him off, screaming, treachery, do you so hate to lose? And it's like, that's... If you watch any, uh, you know, like anime or uh, uh, samurai fighting, I always feel like that's mm -hmm. the part where they blindfold the the ma the master warrior. Right. And like now he's got to use his Zen power to block everything yep. away. Yep. And I was like, it's just such a neat scene because... 
Zach is, is, is almost, I think at this point committing to try to kill Drizzt. Like he knows he's going to do it and he's just going to, just going to kill him. And he's right. so surprised that Drizzt stops him the first time. Yeah. It's like, all right, fine. You got uh. lucky and tries again. And he's like, well, now I'm curious. Hold on. And instead of trying to like <laughs> hack away and end it quickly, he starts trying to see like how well he can fight while, you know, handicapped while blinded. Yeah. Zach Nefane tells him, to lose is to die. You can win a thousand fights, but you can only lose one. Zach wondered if he should do Driz the mercy of striking him down now with one fatal blow. But instead, he threw his saber to the side and grabbed his son by the collar, dragging him to his feet as the Dwomer of the Enchanted Pebble faded. A trick of Lolf's clerics, Zach explained. Always they keep such a spell of light at the ready. He admitted that he's used it against more than a few of them. Drizzt still believed it to be treachery, but Zack told him that he would soon learn. It is their way. Drizzt questioned Zack if he enjoyed killing, killing Drow, that he would have killed Drizzt himself? Zack paused and said, but I did not. He told him that he's allowing him to go live and go to the academy, where being naive will earn him a dagger in the back because he can't accept the nature of his people, or he will change and truly become one of those people. And Driz was hurt. He turns and walks away. Zach bellows after him as he goes to go and seek his glory at the academy. The glory that he wants so badly. <laughs> but with such skills come such great responsibilities. Huh? Is that sentence trademarked? I didn't steal it verbatim from Stanley. <laughs> so Diamond comes down the next morning. And Drizzt has slowly left the training room wondering if Zach's going to say goodbye. But also knowing that he's not. He had so many questions spinning in his head, but not answers. His head was reeling, but Dinan reminded him that time was growing short and he must not be late for his first day at the academy. As they walked outside, Trist was captivated by the sights and lights of outside, wondering what this place really was. Well, Dinan overheard him and told him that it's the real world. You'll learn of it at the academy. Second boy, he laughs. Trist shrugs in res resignation and followed him over the balcony and down the stairs. Watching from the shadows lurked the creeper Alton DeVere, <laughs> quietly sitting on the side of a mushroom. Lone witness left of House DeVere, he ran through memories of his childhood as his house had grand ambitions. He looked at all of that quite differently these days. His matron, Mother Jennifer, had been the youngest ruling matron among the families, with potential that seemed unlimited. Then she aided a gnomish patrol, used her loth-given powers to hinder the drow that ambushed the little people in the caverns. All because Jennifer desired the death of a single member of the attacking drow party. A wizard son of Menzo Berenson's house, uh, third highest house, House DeVere's next target. The Spider Queen didn't like that matron Jennifer to murder the drow because they were dark elves. It's like the butcher the sense a little bit. She, they didn't like that she used the gnomes as the instrument of the murder of the right, dark elves. Right. Because the, the, the gnomes were one of the worst enemies of the drow in the Underdark. This task has caused House Devere to fall out of favor with Loth, and it doomed them. He contemplated what the house must have been responsible for 20 years of his life, and now, now that he knows it, he realizes that the 20 years did nothing to diminish his rage. <laughs> that, that was a very interesting last scene there. Uh, yeah, it was just a very tense like chapter, and then you get to this last scene, and it's just like, oh man, he's watching, he knows, and he's just like fixated on House Deward, and it's like, you were told, take no action, 
<laughs> just like, what is he gonna do? Yeah, no, and it's 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 another thing too. When you, you know, when we first started this book, and you had talked about maybe like the empty eyes of you know Menzo Berenson, mm-hmm. it's a really cool thought. You know, like this action is going on wherever it happens, and you've got to think that there's always somebody who's shrouded or blended in somewhere who's watching it go by. Because really, it's just a cavern, and it's not right. that big. Right. Yeah. You know, it's a massive place and it's sprawling, but it's really hard to be sneaky among a bunch of conniving, sneaky people. <laughs> yep. All right. Awesome. Awesome summary there. Awesome Drizzt. Let's move. Awesome. The Drizzt. I was like, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk about our favorite parts in the dim light reel. The dim light reel is where we cast darkness on our favorite parts of the chapter and dim light all of our favorite characters, events, descriptions, and more. So we actually already talked. You covered it pretty well in your Drizzt, but I mean, my favorite part was definitely the lessons that uh, Zach had to teach Drizzt while they were fighting. Just, you know, they're fighting. They're putting everything into into this sparring match, but then... At the same time, they're having this conversation that just adds to the whole situation. And I just I just loved that. So my dim light this week is part of that conversation during their sparring session. Uh, so uh, Zach asks Drizzt, are you so, or, yeah, are you so sure of yourself? Drizzt went on the offensive yelling, I am a fighter. I'm a drow warrior. Like some, I don't know, sounds almost like a. A petulant child just yeah. yelling back at you, like, "No, I'm a superhero." <laughs> uh, and uh, let's see. To which Zach responds, "No, you are a dancer, <laughs> an imposter." Uh, so <laughs> this seems to really strike a chord with Drizzt. He ends up going on the offensive, but then Zach continues his lesson. Ah, the pleasure of plunging your sword in the bosom of a high priestess. To see the light of warmth leave her body while her lips utter silent curses in your face. It was it was actually up until this moment that I thought I knew what was happening. Um, but then, like, yeah. I just thought that he was looking to kill Driz to prevent him from becoming a cold-hearted killer um, by going to the academy. So I, I kind of saw this as, like... Zach is trying to kill him sort of out of like a, like it's sort of like a mercy killing. Uh, yeah. but the next thing that he says actually started to flip my mind the other way though. So Zach continued, or have you ever heard the screams of dying children? And it's like, Oh man, here he goes again, bringing up these got that thousand again. yard stare suddenly where he doesn't right. see you. He's looking beyond you. Like, right. yep. yep. So he continues like how loud, those screams they echoed over the they echo over the centuries in your mind they chase you down the paths of your entire life he eventually starts taunting drizzt like come then and claim your second kill and at this point i'm starting to think like you know before it was like i thought that he was trying to kill drizzt as a mercy killing sort of thing but it's like um now you know Hold on, I just lost my spot. Zach wants to kill Driz. Um, or no, yeah, what I was starting to think was that Zach wanted Driz to kill him. 
so that he isn't tormented any longer by these screams from drow children. And yeah, the Devere children let out their screams about 20 years ago, but Zack made a point to say that the screams echo over centuries. And it's like, at, you touched on it in the Drizzt, but it was like, at that moment, it was like, hold on. How many House Devere's have there been? How many House Devere's was Zack a part of destroying? And it's really kind of cool when you think about it, like, through the eyes of the young Drow, right? Like, we're just starting to know their world maybe a step faster than Drizzt is. You know what I mean? Because we get to see it through right. his eyes. We also get to see it through a few other visages up until this point. Right. But really, we're still newcomers to this world. Like yeah, We think true, we know yeah. Benzo Perrinson because we know some of the houses. We've seen some Drow Justice. We can name those the three Academy spots, right? We had yep. all the cool people. We know the <laughs> ones to know. But really, we have no idea. We're still you know, a third of the way into this book. And yep. we're still just getting to learn. Like he is, we have that same naivety. And so when, when you're learning that in the conversation, in the lesson, it is kind of cool to think about it from that point of view. Yeah, so just like how many houses, how many drow children was he at least partially responsible for killing? You know, maybe he wasn't the one with the sword in his hand, but we saw with Devere, he helped like find them and then just like kept walking. Um, so how long has Zack been fighting to kill priestesses at the cost of young drow lives? You know, he loves to kill those high priestesses whenever they take out a house, but then it's like, is it just kind of collateral damage? Like... I got to kill the the high priestesses, but unfortunately, at the cost of these young drow. And at this point, I feel like at that moment in the chapter, it was just kind of like, oh man, has he finally cracked? Has he finally had enough? Is he like, because yeah. like, he eventually is just like, come on, take your second kill. And then it's, you know, basically like a Sith type situation or a faceless one type situation where it's like, you kill me, you take my spot. Um, that kind of thing. And, you know, it's, that's got to be at least a little enticing to Drizzt. I took it almost like more of an intimidation tactic. Okay. Like, well, that that's how it he, eventually... When he calls yeah. him a dancer, I, you know, I thought it was neat because earlier on we learned that they talk about the uh, the surface elves and they're like, oh, they just dance under the sun. <laughs> right? Oh, and man. So by calling him a dancer, he's like, you're so not even a drow. You're like those people. You're like a surface elf. It's kind of how I took it, right? Oh, and I was man, like, I didn't even put that together. Wow. <laughs> so it's almost like he's just, in my mind, like emasculating him so far. And he's like, oh, you're a great warrior. Oh, you know what you're doing? Here, look, I won't even fight you. You can have everything you want. Go ahead and stick me. All you need oh, to do is be a real drow. Be a real drow. Assassinate me. There's no one looking. Go ahead. Take it. It basically just shaming him into knowing who he really is by saying, like, you know, there's no way you're going to do it. Like every time you see a movie and they're like, you got a gun, like, you're not going to shoot. Like, He's basically just trying to like you know make Drizzt feel so right. small in that moment. Like you were nothing that you think you are. If you were, you could stab me. Go ahead, do it. Man, Jeffrey, I am so glad that I decided to read this book with you because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I might be wrong, but that's how I took it. No, that's totally how you're how you're supposed to take it, and I just totally read right over that without even without ever thinking about it. But oh man, no, that's crazy. That's why they're the parts of the chapter that we focus on, folks. <laughs> but yeah, that scene, that whole scene was just had your adrenaline pumping and but also just like tugs at your heartstrings a little bit because it's like, no, you guys should be best friends. And it's like, uh, but anyway, that's my dim light <laughs> this week. <laughs> uh, what do you have this week for us, Jeffrey? 
Uh, I went with the, the, the fall of House Devere. Now, it's going to sound a little weird because we've Wasn't already witnessed Wasn't that chapter that. two? It was. It was. <laughs> but it's that small part at the end of this chapter where we run into Alden. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that had such an impactful moment on this chapter that I, I really wanted to highlight that. So I know it's a small amount of words. I feel like it just has a big impact. But when we started this book, we knew that House Devere had fallen out of favor with the Spider Queen. And now we find out why. You had asked before, do we know what they did to incur the wrath of the Spider Queen so that their right. spells weren't yeah. listened to yeah. as we went in the second chapter? This is where we find out why. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's kind of huge. It almost feels like it's just an afterthought in the chapter. But when I read it, it slammed into, uh, play, it slammed into place like one of those puzzle pieces. You know, like one of the middle ones that are really tough to connect. Right. It's like we know that drow justice is unforgiving. And that it is also, say, perhaps guided is the right word, by the ruling council. It's a risk to put yourself in their sights. So assassinations are encouraged on an individual level as well as a house level. So House DeWerden was able to take advantage of the stumble of House DeVere and assassinated them. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, much like, uh, you know, Dinan assassinated Nalfine opportunistically and promoted himself to first boy. So House Devere was trying to assassinate a wizard, a son of the third house, who was also part of the patrol party that was out there trying to like help secure the borders of Menzo Barons and against creatures and foes like gnomes. Mm-hmm. Matron Jinnafei, she used her magic to aid the gnomes, and we're, we're, we're led to believe that they killed the patrol of Drow. And they did all of this to make sure that she got that one person who was her intended target. Mm-hmm. So House Devere wasn't punished for killing a wizard, wasn't punished for killing a drow and it certainly you know wasn't punished because it killed a party of drow it's punished because they were cast out of favor because they used their gifts to benefit the gnomes Mm -hmm. so even though the gnomes most likely died lost members as well the fact that they benefited by being able to kill the drow because the drow let them is like this huge taboo so mage and jennifer dooms the house of house to fear so Mm. The question I had is, like, if Matron Jennifer allowed, uh, say, a hook horror instead of the gnome to devour the party, would that have been okay, you think? Probably. Maybe? Maybe that's a little better, seeing as the Grey Dwarves are, like, the worst... Or no, not Grey Dwarves. The gnomes are one of the um, worst enemies, right? Right. So it's like, so if it was just some other regular like denizen a, creature who just, wasn't as cognizant, didn't right. worship a different god, if they'd come in and she had cast heavy sleep on all of them and the hook horror comes along and just nom, 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 right. nom, eats them all up, does Loth go, mm, smart move? Right. Because, I mean, the way I, I don't know, the first thing that comes to my mind is when they decide, well, when the ruling council decides to take out the house that didn't, I forget the names of the house, uh, the house that didn't successfully eradicate the other house. House Tekindui. House yep. Tekindui, right? They summoned. They tried to get House Firth, I think it was. Right, yeah. They summoned a bunch of uh, denizens from the lower plane. It's like, yep. I mean, is that any different to use some other creatures to do your bidding? I but, didn't think so. But I guess gnomes are a big no no. <laughs> yeah. And so that's enough that's to doom your house though. Think about interesting. that. Like, yeah. That one moment. So yep. like this this razor thin line between blessing and destruction really makes you realize the chaotic nature that serving such a deity would mean. Yeah. 
You know, the fourth strongest house in Menzo Baranzan was allowed to be assassinated because they used the wrong tool once. <laughs> you know, it's like sitting down for a dinner and having four forks and finding out you use your seafood fork and the salad fork and now you're losing a hand. <laughs> Excuse me? Like, it's a little, that's a little rough. You know, it's also kind of neat to realize, though, that while Alden's memory of, is kind of used to invoke almost a, a little sympathy for his house, he's also literally admitting that his house was in the midst of an assassination and was planning to destroy Obla, Obladra, Obladra mm -hmm. which was the third most powerful house of Menzo Branson. So even while he's trying to evoke sympathy, there remains this undercurrent of viciousness that pervades the drow culture. Yeah. Like it's crazy because he's like, oh, man, I can't believe what happened that we were taken out of our prime while we were trying to assassinate those people right. in front of us. <laughs> Somebody came along and assassinated us. What, what are the odds? Yeah. And it's like and then it says not only did he carry this flame for 20 years, it's just getting worse. He's yeah. so zealous in that regard. I was like, ah, you know what? That's just a small part of the end of the chapter. But really, it's got a lot of implications. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So now. That's my dim light. Where uh, where would you like to go delving? For those on the YouTube, let's go over right. there. <laughs> All right. The Dungeon Delve is the part of the show where we link this chapter to our favorite tabletop RPG. This week, there weren't too many magical items or skills being used i mean there was a lot of skills i guess in the fighting techniques but we've already talked about combat quite a bit and actions and things like that so i i noticed in the beginning of the chapter uh when zach was uh, admiring the craftsmanship of his duergar crafted sword uh, the sword itself is described as possessing exquisite workmanship and having wondrous detail uh, you know, whenever I stumble upon a video online showing how someone crafts a sword or something similar, I always get sucked in. There, There's something about molten metal being poured and red hot metal being, like, shaped on an anvil that just draws me in. And so that's it's not something that I am able to do. I have not been trained that way. I don't have the talent. I don't have the equipment. But did you know that there are rules for crafting in 5e. Do you think that Sarah would allow us to put a forge out in your backyard? I would love that. <laughs> I'm not saying that we'd make a lot of table hinges, but every once in a while we could get together and melt down something and come. <laughs> so Jeffrey, when I started talking about a, a sword, did you think I was going to be talking about crafting or did you think I was going to be talking about the sword itself? <laughs> No, I, I would have gone with the sword. <laughs> so I think anyway. crafting is such a neat way to look at part of D&D. Uh, because &D. everybody it, thinks, again, that D&D &D is nothing more than well, everybody. Let me apologize. Right. A lot of broad people who are uninitiated to the game really think that D&D &D is nothing more than stab and slash. Right. right? Like uh, building a murder bot. You know, yeah. How is your guy cut down the other guy? But I think the people that spend time and live inside that world, there's so many small nuances that you can really take advantage of and right. uh, immerse yourself into. And so I think crafting is really a, a neat way of looking at it. Well, it's it's one of the reasons why I got so into it. And it's something that I unfortunately don't use enough. Like when um, I think it was back in like 2014 when 5e was first coming out, it, it wasn't about the combat for me. It was it was 
looking at it like, man, I am... There's, sorry if you can hear my kids. They're right over in the kitchen, just really loud. But uh, D&D is just a world that you get to immerse yourself in and you can live in it. And it's like, hey, if you want to go do this, you can go do that or at least attempt to. If you want to learn how to craft something, you can do that. And that was one of the things that really drew me into it. And so, yeah, crafting page 187 of your player handbook next time you have it in front of you. Um, there's a whole section of downtime activities that PCs are able to partake, uh, partake in when they're not adventuring. Uh, but crafting is just one of those downtime activities. And um, so the way that crafting works is, again, it is a downtime activity. So it's something where, you know, if you're really rushing to get a quest done or something, you're probably not sitting around like, yeah, we're just going to take a week and, you know rest or whatever that doesn't happen too often with like huge campaigns but if you are proficient in using a tool depending on what those tools are you're able to make the corresponding item so if it's like um if you're proficient in smith tools then you're able to craft weapons and armor if you're proficient in um man what other tools are there i know i don't want to give the way the ones away that i'm planning on using but you know insert tool here and depending on what that makes those are the type of things that you can make <laughs> <laughs> so um oh but i should say you can only craft non-magical items this way i wasn't able to i mean i, I didn't look too too hard but as far as like enchanting things um other than using spells if there's some other rule for that we'll save that for a, uh, a day later but in one day, in-game, you are able to craft one or multiple items totaling a market value of up to five gold pieces. All right? So that's that's the general rule. Every day, you are able to craft something worth five gold pieces as long as you are proficient in using those tools, and it has to be a non-magical item. Um, one little tidbit here is that you need to use up at least half the cost in raw materials. So if you're crafting something worth five gold pieces, then you must expend 2.5 gold pieces worth of raw material. Of course, the item you're trying to make, if it costs more than five gold pieces, you just need to work multiple days. So here's my for instance. Suppose you want to make a longbow. You want to craft a longbow. The longbow has a market value of 50 gold pieces. Knowing that 5 gold pieces a day is what you're able to craft, it's going to take 10 days to make it. Seeing as longbows are typically made of wood, you would need to be proficient in woodcarver's tools, I would say, but I could see someone making an argument for being proficient in uh, carpenter's tools. They're not the same, but it's similar enough that, you know, you might be able to make a a rudimentary, um, I almost said crossbow, a uh, longbow out of using your carpentry um, skills. But anyway, um, that means, so we have 10 days, it's 50 gold pieces. It's also going to cost you 25 gold pieces in raw materials. What if wood is just really on sale that week? That, I would say that that is up to the discretion of the DM. <laughs> I'm in a forest. Can I just hack down well, like my wood? And... and that's the thing. So your DM could allow you to purchase the materials okay. needed. Okay. But 
you could well, also in that sense of just going to a place to purchase it from a shop and make it yourself that would work in this formula right is what you're saying. Okay. or or the dm could say like well there's a forest out there that possesses that it's a bunch of trees of the highest quality wood and it's like hey you can go gather some that might take like an extra that, day like, so. then you'd have to throw in like a nature check to make sure he finds the right tree like yeah, yeah that's cool yeah that's cool so i always loved the idea of crafting in D. like i said it's something that really got me hooked into it it's like oh man what else can i do like, you can own land you can make money by owning a farm and stuff like that like all of these things but crafting was one of the things that really like got me sucked in and uh, at the time, I wasn't actually playing in any games because this was back when I was first learning about it. And it was just like, oh, man, you could do this and do that. This is so cool. But, yeah, unfortunately, our current campaign that we play, um, there's a little more hustle <laughs> needed. Uh, we're, we're not just hanging out in in a town. Um, I mean, I guess we did a little bit back when we first started, but that town is no more. And uh perhaps we'll get there eventually it got it got blown up yeah yeah yeah. but not to the fault of the party (laughs) totally innocent (laughs) all right so that's my dungeon delve this week jeffrey what do you have for us for me my dungeon uh my geez there's a lot of d's here (laughs) my dungeon delve is the dwomer that uh, zach nefane used to blind drist stunning him and bringing up an abrupt end to their fight a Dwomer is a magical aura that is on an enchanted item. In terms of origin, the Dwomer means witchcraft in Old English. And it derives from the Old, Ner- uh, old Norse term, hmm, Dvergmal. Dvergmal. Which literally means dwarf talk. So hmm. it refers to secret knowledge of magic uh, among the original Norse dwarves <clears throat> that they you know, kept amongst themselves. And... I'm not sure where that's based on. I know when I was younger, I had a book in Norse magic and the the way that they believe about dwarfs and gnomes. It's, it's really kind of cool. Hmm. So I don't know if he took from that lore or like if D&D has anything to speak specifically to that or if they just kind of made their own. But right. I found that kind of interesting. Hmm. So the spell that I think it might have been enchanted with was I went and chose Light of Blinding. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. It creates an uncomfortably bright flash of light that affects cre- each creature in a 15-foot square radius. Or 15-foot radius sphere, not square. Nice. It's centered on you, and then each creature must make a dexterity saving throw or be blinded for the duration. Would you be would you be counted as a creature? Casting I don't know, because I think you would be able to just close your eyes. Right? Yeah, like Zagnafane knew that he was throwing it, so he couldn't be caught by surprise. Yeah, I guess it would be the surprise factor, right? I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of each turn, the affected creature can make a constitution saving throw. This is a, a second-level abjuration spell, so I feel like it'd be common enough that Zach Nefane would be able to procure a few of them without drawing any kind of like unwanted attention to himself. It's not like he was walking down to the fish market and trying to buy a 12-gauge. Like, right. Oh, yeah. I was a guy, it was this hall, look like this. <laughs> When you consider like how Drow see, how Infravision works, then even though it's a simple spell, you can imagine the effectiveness that yeah. it has. Yeah. Right? In terms of gameplay, when Zagnafane drops the Dwomer, he has his eyes closed and catches Drizzt by surprise. So Drizzt would have to roll his dexterity saving throw, what do you think, at a disadvantage because he's caught by surprise? Or do you think that the closed eyes is the advantage for, for Zach? 
Because hmm. it's one of the two, I think. I don't think you get both. Yeah, if you don't have sight, I would think that you would have disadvantage on dexterity saves that rely on sight. Right? So then I would think yeah. maybe that Zagafane gets advantage on his role if that, it is yeah. right as well. Yeah, probably. Okay. So Tris would then have to do a deck save. In the story, he's blinded, so that would mean that he failed, right? So his attack is dead in the water, that uh, knife that he's got leveled at Zagafane's throat. Yeah. A full six <laughs> seconds would go by until he can make a first constitution saving throw, just to hope to recover for his next move. So this means, like, at a minimum... Zach's got two more actions that he can get in and do something to Drizzt hmm. while he has really no defense. And so this opening is more than enough for a warrior's talented Zagnafane to exploit it to his advantage for the finishing blow. We see that Drizzt blocks the incoming attack, so he still manages to defend even though he's blind. So what I was thinking is, do you think that this that, that would result more because Zagnafane rolled poorly on his attack roll? Or because Drizzt's recovering on his saving throw? Oh, it could be a combination. Because hmm. he's still blind. And that's what kind of got me. Is like He still didn't have sight, right? When right. he's blocking. Right. Maybe there's a passive perception going on there as well. Maybe like uh, he's he heard... That, well, no, Drow are so light on their feet. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm half convinced Zach probably rolled low. He got a nap on there. It's the fact that he was still <laughs> blinded, which was got me. So I feel like right. Zagnafane just rolls really, really poorly on his attack yeah. rolls and can't overcome Drizzt's yeah. DC. It's, and uh, we've all been there before, yeah. right? Just you last night <laughs> with two nat ones uh, in a row. <laughs> yeah, that was my constitution saving throw too, right? Yep, yep. So I rolled a nat one on my constitution and I was like, oh, but wait, but wait, we have inspiration. Yep. So I tried to use that and re-roll the die and I re-rolled another, another one. Another nat one. <laughs> sometimes the dice are not with you, my friends. <laughs> so, you know, we've all been there. Got a nice healthy advantage and then you get skunked by the dice. Yep. These Dwomer would be quite the advantage when fighting anyone who's sensitive to light. Like a few seconds can be a couple of actions and that can all too easily be the difference between surviving an encounter or having to re-roll a whole oh, new character. Yep, yep. Now we know that um, Driz just managed to block that. I mean, it would have been a death blow, a sword right to the head. Yeah, yeah. He would have been re-rolling a new character. <laughs> All right. Well, is that about it for the dungeon delve? I guess that, that takes us out of the dungeon. Yup, and that puts us at the end of the episode. So thank you so much for listening. Remember that if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Also, make sure you are getting the most out of this podcast. Pick up a copy of the book and read along with us. Have you realized at an early age that you are just too awesome to be bothered to physically read the book? Excellent. Just download a copy of the audiobook and listen to it during your commute at work, in the metaverse, wherever. When you finish chapter 11, you can shoot us an email at drizdunright at gmail.com or you can log on to our Discord, link in the description, and join in on the discussion. Become a member of the Dim Light Squad. Remember, we love to hear from you. And also, remember, if you guys feel like supporting the show, sending a little digital love, we do have the link on the episode description that allows you to make donations that we'll use to accelerate the building process of this show that we're creating with all of you in the Dim Light Squad. Never feel obligated, but know you guys are always appreciated. Thank you so much. It's been a blast, but now it's time to say goodbye.
it's never easy to say goodbye. So me, I say farewell, play fair, be well. <laughs>